The views expressed in our Chop Talk podcast are those of the individual participants only and do not necessarily express the views of the Lambda Chi Alpha fraternity or its chapters or members. Our Chop Talk podcasts are intended to be as open and honest with our members as possible, but we acknowledge that certain topics may be sensitive, graphic, or emotionally challenging. Please use your own discretion to avoid any material that you may find potentially painful or difficult. Hey, Taylor. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. Uh, this is going to be a weird question, but have you ever been to the ER before? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, twice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. More than I was expecting. Oh, yeah, most that, people don't make a, <laughs> is there a frequent flyer mile package there or something? I wish because, man, it's expensive. But I it will is. say it was not a fun experience either time I went. No, I don't I don't think ever going to the ER is, is naturally a fun experience. No. But the one thing I did notice when I was there is that they really handle a lot of different things. They do. Like, a surprising amount of things. Yeah, I would I would really say an ER uh, nurse or, or doctor is kind of a, a jack of all trades yes. is the way I would describe it. I would agree with you. Uh, and so we actually have a great person to help us talk about that today. Who's that? His name is Dr. Lou Profeta. Awesome. Yeah, no, I've actually been really excited about this podcast. I, I told Lou uh, about uh, three, four months ago that I yeah. wanted to have him on the podcast. And, and so we finally got our schedules to work out. Right. And he spoke at the High Alpha Summit, which is our president's conference. And yes. so now he's in the studio. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this is going to be really exciting. So let's get to it. Let's do it. So as we mentioned in our previous podcast about mental health and healthy habits, we would be returning to these topics uh, periodically. So today it is our great pleasure to welcome a very special guest, Dr. Lou Perfetta. How are you? Great. How are you? Good. Good. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, Dr. Profeta is an emergency physician practicing in the Indianapolis area, where he has treated over 60,000 patients, which is crazy. Um, he is one of LinkedIn's top voices and the author of the critically acclaimed book, The Patient in Room 9 Says He's God. Um, and so, with another book in the works, Dr. Profeta offers a sharp and critical look into some of the most pressing topics in today's society. Um, so, if I may, I would love to read an excerpt of one of Lou's articles titled, I'll Look at Your Face. Facebook profile before I tell your mother you're dead. All right. It kind of keeps me human. You see, I'm about to change their lives. Your mom and dad, that is. In about five minutes, they will never be the same. They will never be happy again. Right now, to be honest, you're just a nameless dead body that feels like a wet bag of newspapers that we have been pounding on, sticking IV lines and tubes and needles in, trying desperately to save you. There's no motion, no life, nothing to tell you once to tell me you once had dreams or aspirations. I owe it to them to learn just a little bit about you before I go in. Because right now, all I am is mad at you for what you did to yourself and what you're about to do to them. I know nothing about you. I owe it to your mom to peek inside of your once living living world. That's some heavy stuff. Yes, it should be. <laughs> it's meant to be. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, why don't we start with you kind of um, explaining, you know, who you are and um, and what you've been doing um, in your career? Well, uh, my name is Louis Perfetta. I'm an emergency and uh, physician here in Indianapolis. Grew up in Indianapolis, actually not too far from here. Yeah. Trained at University of Pittsburgh. Um, came back to practice emergency medicine, the very same hometown which I grew up in. I'm in a level one trauma center. Yeah. And father of three sons, one that's still in college, two that are out of school. Um, married to a wonderful wife, and uh, I've been doing this job uh, for 
25 years now. Yeah. 60, 70,000 people. I'm also on the... That's so crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I'm also on the board of directors of the Marion County Crime Lab. It's okay. 26 for the city of Indianapolis. So we yeah. handle all the homicides and drug-related issues for the city, too, and sexual assault cases. Yeah. Wow. That is quite yeah. the quite the resume there. And then and then I and then I write. Right. So yeah. So, yeah, I, so I guess I should probably throw that out there. Yes. Um, is wrote, it wrote, thirty-eight about thirty-eight articles now? I think oh, is what I, I, I saw. I couldn't even tell you. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> um, but I mean, I wrote a best-selling book. Uh, it didn't start out that way. I wrote a book um, called "The Patient Room Nine Says He's God," and a few years later, I had written an article called "Your Kid and My Kid Aren't Playing the Pros." It went mm-hmm. crazy. It was read millions of times. Was, wow won some awards. And because of that, my book became a bestseller. And because of that article uh, going viral on the internet, um, Pulse Magazine, which was LinkedIn's online magazine, contacted me, the editor, and asked if I would write for Pulse Magazine. And I took them up on it. And next thing I know, I've got this huge viral following and I'm sitting with you. Yeah, exactly. Which, thank you again so much for being here. It's great. Yeah, and I I guess I'll give some context too. Uh, So, um, Lou actually spoke at our, our board meeting. Uh, we had one in Indianapolis. Um, and so we had Lou come in and talk to some of our board members. Yeah. Um, and, and so his talk there was really inspirational, just some of the topics he covered. He was very live and, and I guess, unfiltered. And I think that's yeah. really what I loved about it. Um, and so we had him at our president's conference, which was in January. And right. he came in and talked to some of our presidents. And once again, like just the emotion in the room and, and, and the realness of the content, I think, is really what... Um, what wanted us to have you on our podcast, because this is a message I think that everyone needs to hear, not just a select group of presidents or, or just our board. I, I think this needs to go out everywhere. And, and so um, reading your articles and, and just kind of going through all these things, yeah. it's just, I, yeah, I have comments that we'll talk <laughs> no, about, but crazy. it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. crazy. But you know, go, going back to what, I guess me, what brought me here was yeah. I had written an article called um, A Sunday Talk on Sex, Drugs, Drinking, and Dying with the Frat Boys. Right. And that article came about because of a, sort of an interaction I had with my son's fraternity at Indiana University. And after I got done talking to them, uh, my son said, you know, that was incredibly brutal, but incredibly real. I've never heard anything, you talk like that, dad, in in terms of what you do, in terms of these these kinds of issues. And I went back and wrote an article about it, and it was read, uh, spent read over two million times, I believe and shared all over the country. And because of that, now I'm asked to speak on college campuses and fraternities and sororities for college sports teams all over America to yeah. come and try to sort of replicate that talk that we gave at the Sigma Alpha Mu House a right. few, few years ago. And that's what I've been doing. Yeah, well, I, I remember that that's the first article of yours that I read. Yeah. Um, and I just remember thinking, wow, this is, you know, it's real, it's very hard hitting. And, you know, like Mike was saying, I think that that was such a draw as to why we wanted you at our president's conference, just because, you know, like these are the facts, like sure. this is what what could happen if, if we aren't careful. Um, and one of the things, you know, from your presentation that really, really hit me um, was your detailed description of a parent's reaction to hearing that their child is dead. You sure. know, and I was sure. wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, this is one of the things I think I've really learned in terms of giving these talks on yeah. drugs and alcohol and sexual assault on college campuses. I, I came back from a, a, a high school presentation actually mm-hmm. down in Atlanta, Georgia, just recently. I was at Pace Academy, a really beautiful private prep school down sure. there. And 
I think that where most of these discussions fail at the educational level, whether it's at your fraternity houses, whether it's in high school or college or, or what have you, is that young people are not going to see themselves uh, dead. Mm -hmm. They just can't envision it. And even if they do, it's sort of this nebulous kind of, of, of thing. Right. It, it's foggy. And what they can picture, though, interestingly enough, is they can picture despair in their parents. Mm -hmm. And I think that what I have learned is that when you're giving these talks and you're pleading with these kids to do the right thing so they don't die, they, they, don't, they don't love like adults. And yeah. what I mean by that is that they, I should say they don't love like a parent. Yeah, I always tell people, I say, um, you thought you knew what love was until you had a kid, okay? And then you really know what love is. Then you think you know what fear is till you face the prospect of losing a child mm -hmm. or having a child with a terminal illness or something like that. You have no idea the depth of fear that a parent can have or the depth of love until you actually have that yourself. So right. what I did was sort of, a, I guess a paradigm flip is I tried to generate discussion to make young people see their parents. Yeah. Okay, because they can see that better. And they also can picture a world where they're not in it. And that's very dark to them. Mm -hmm. Okay, that yes. whole notion of being forgotten and the incredible amount of despair and devastation you'll leave behind you. That That is very haunting to them, and it's I think works very, very well in getting the point across. And that is yeah. how it looks. I do this for a living. That is what it looks like. And, right. Uh, so I try to bring that to college campuses. Yeah, I mean, that, that really got me, and it got me thinking, too, um, because, you know, I was at the back of the room taking pictures during that presentation, but when when you did that and, you know, you, you were screaming like a parent would scream, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, it just brings a, a new, you know, I guess, understanding of, of what that looks like. Yeah, my wife has probably seen 20 of these talks, and she still has to cover her eye, uh, oh, yeah. put her fingers in her ear and close her eyes when that part comes up yeah. because it's so, and even my kids that have seen it, they, they have a really hard time. My son has had to walk out of the room when he's, you know, watched that sort of part of the talk. And, right. You know, um, it's, it's interesting too, from a, from a dynamic perspective to watch like a, a room full of college students that are all, you know, about the phones and the talking <laughs> and the slumping in the chair and their feet up to watch how their entire faces, you know, mm -hmm. change and they're, affect changes when we start talking about that. It right. really bothers them. And that's the whole point. It's supposed to bother them. Yeah, exactly. And, exactly. And, and so I was also walking around the room taking pictures and I was looking at you uh, down the aisle at the time you started doing that. And like, I, I paused because I don't, I don't, I, I think everyone imagines what their death will be like and, and it's going to be a funeral and things like that. But I don't think everyone imagines that part of it, their parents, their family, their friends, mm -hmm. how they're going to take it. And I think as soon as you did that, watching everyone's face almost drop, but the attention was all on you, ex like just everyone realized like, holy crap, <laughs> like that's it. Yeah. Like that is the end of my life right there when someone found out and it's, it hurts them more than it's gonna sure hurt does. you. Sure it does. Yeah. Sure it does. I mean, you got the easy way out. You don't have to witness any of that. Exactly. And that was what I tried to capture right. in that article. Aren't you glad you, you don't get to see this? Yeah, Your exactly. Mother curled up in a ball, you know, trying to, you know, deflect invisible punches and blows, you know, yeah. that's what it looks like. It's horrible. It is so horrible. And, you know, I did a radio interview recently um, up in Fort Wayne and, um, 
you know, they say, well, how do you sleep at night? How do you do this? It's, you know, we also save people's lives, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, it's all about balance. And yeah, and and the horrible stuff, when you see the, the you know, these dead young people on, on the table, and it's horrible to say, you don't really remember them mm-hmm. because they're, Waxy and their feature, their featureless, and they're just—they got tubes in them, and you know they don't. Their clothes are cut off of them. They're indescript, just big, just bodies that are laying there, dead, pale, cold, still, not moving, pukey, and you know they've soiled themselves, and that's what it looks like. But you don't really remember them. They all look the same. They all look the same at that moment. And then, but when you go in and you tell the parents, man, you never forget that. You mm-hmm. never forget that. And that's what wakes you up at night is those screams and those, man. that devastation. I mean, it is just the worst, the worst. So I said, you know, hell with it. I'm going around college campuses. I'm going to see if maybe I can keep this from happening. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah. So I, I know all of these situations like prompted the Facebook article where you talked about, I'll, I'll, I'm going to check your Facebook before I go into your parents. So it reminds me that this is a person I'm talking about. This is not just another thing on my job. What was like that turning point for you? How did like, why did you decide to do that all of a sudden? Well, I, yeah, I have to tell you, I don't do this with everybody. Mm-hmm. It was, I had a, um, I had a case um, a while back where a young man was shot uh, and, and killed up here on the north side. And he was the same age as my boys. And uh, a lot of times when we have younger people that have been killed in accidents or overdoses or, or what have you, I'll flip their names on Facebook and just see if my kids had, were friends with them. Because, you know, everybody's friends with everybody. Oh, sure. And it's amazing how many of these kids have links to, you know, my three sons are about the same age. And this kid had been killed. It was, it was right in the area where my kids went to school. And I made sort of a, a flippant comment after we had pronounced him dead that, uh, you know, his ID was laying on the, the table. And I picked it up and said, yeah, I'll check your Facebook profile before I go and tell your mother you're dead. Mm-hmm. And I sort of said that to myself. Mm-hmm. And I flipped on his phone. And when I, looked, when I looked at his profile, you know, I couldn't have been more wrong. You sort of jumped to conclusions. And yeah. all of a sudden, he wasn't just some, you know, kid shot and uh, he was a person you know he had a job he had people that loved him he had you know hopes he had things and you know I'm, I'm looking down at the floor and the same clothes that I've cut off of him are in his profile picture the same earrings oh the same gosh. necklace everything it's all right there it's all on the counters and so all of a sudden he took a different form in that instance yeah you know but I, I certainly don't do it with everybody, but the whole jux of that article was to create a framework by which parents would sit down with their kids and say, hey, this is what it looks like. This is what I will feel like. This is what my life will be like if you leave me. And I think it's a great message. And, and I, I, you talked about another one of your articles, really the love of a child, right? You compared your career to to the love, like, well, you do have passion for your career. And, and what you said is, I have passion for my family. The mm-hmm. career is just a job, and you were talking yep. to a room of medical professionals, yeah. <laughs> and and people were, were almost. You know, that's my favorite article I've ever I loved written. It. That people is my yeah, favorite. Arguing yeah. with you, and then yeah, like, but you, you said honestly, I dropped everything I did, drove to New York, sat mm-hmm. by my son's bedside for forty-five days mm-hmm. while he was being treated with leukemia. Like I, that is to me, that's love and passion. Yeah. And, yes. and I, that article framed it so well. Yeah, that it article really did. that is my. That is the article I'm most proud of. Those uh, that's, These four words may offend you, may also just save you. That article, right. it's been reprinted in books all over the world, include, in, including a, a cookbook in Australia. <laughs> really? Yeah. really? A cookbook for veterinarians. <laughs> oh, I guess there's a huge veterinarian burnout rate. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a big cult following yeah. in New Zealand. Right. If you ever need lamb chops, I know. <laughs> that's pretty cool. 
Oh my gosh. No, but it, it just, it made so much sense to me because everyone's like, well, and you said like, why do you think that you're at a, on a higher pedestal than the bartender or the night clerk or the, the waiter at the restaurant? Yeah. Like you don't know them. You don't know their, yeah, what their they're stories. going through. And I think that's totally true. I think even in fraternities, we judge people so quickly. Oh, absolutely. And yes. we, we, do, we don't even get to know who they are. No. And, and you made a great point. Like you are not any better than them because yeah. you have this prestigious fraternity mm-hmm. that you're in. Like that makes you know better. Yep. And I just, I, it really, really touched me. I, yeah, I was, that's I was, one yeah. of my favorite things to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> that oh my gosh. Yeah. We'll come yeah. back and we'll do a story on that. <laughs> yeah. And also I think I, my quote on the back, I think is like, this made me cry is what I wrote as yeah. I was just jotting down notes. Yeah. It was like, it really touched me. And, and yeah. so I love that article. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, another big thing that we talked about when you presented to um, to the conference was, you know, the fact of drinking, sure. you know, and that's that's huge. I mean, it's a huge part of college campuses sure. these days. Um, and, you know, we've been talking in, in previous podcast episodes about how, you know, like we we know that it happens in our fraternities, you know, like we would be stupid if we just turned a blind eye and said, oh, this doesn't happen, you know? So I think that the the idea is we turn that conversation to, okay, we know this happens, but what can we do to make sure that, you know, deaths like you describe in your articles don't happen? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that underage drinking first and foremost, and how do our men talk to their chapter brothers about this issue? Well, I mean, underage drinking, you go to other countries, they don't have anywhere near the issues that we have. Right. It's its irresponsible drinking. Yes. There's there's a difference between just drinking underage. I mean, age is arbitrary. Sure. Okay. And and being rec- reckless with alcohol, just right. like you're, you're reckless with anything, whether it's how you ride a bike without a helmet or whether you're texting when you're driving or mm-hmm. whether, you know, any number of a thousand activities you might do in a daily sure. basis that are that are that are reckless so you know the whole notion about underage drinking i don't get too bent out of shape yeah shape with you know my kids have you know um they've probably had fake id since they were <laughs> 15 i'm sure okay god knows i found enough of them over, oh over the gosh. years cleaning cleaning our house but right. <laughs> you know but there's a difference between, like I said, that in uh, reckless and, and um, responsible drinking. Sure. I mean, I like alcohol just like anybody else. Yeah. I mean, I love scotch. I get bourbons and collect them. And, um, you know, but I think that teaching an appreciation of mm-hmm. alcohol as opposed to just using as as a tool for um, recreation, because it's not a recreational tool. It's right. something to be enjoyed. Yes. Okay. It's something to, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. My kids... Um, Go, went to college in New York City. They were exposed to alcohol fairly early on. They got a really good appreciation for for bourbons and scotches at a younger age, mm-hmm. um, younger than most, I should say. Let me just put that out there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and it's funny because they come home, and if they're getting a bunch of friends together on the back porch, they're getting you know seventy dollar bottle of uh, scotch or right. bourbon, and they're pouring a, a glass and maybe grabbing a cigar and sure. they're sipping it and they're talking and they're, you know, having a great time. It's more of a social um, thing. Yeah, it is, a, it, and just like you know, grabbing good bottles of wine or right. something like that. That's what they do. Um, Definitely. And where where sort of their culture where they are in, in New York City, and why we have adopted this notion that, that the joy of drinking involves shoving a plastic tube in your throat and pouring a, a can of cheap beer down. It's yeah. just, it's beyond comprehension or throwing a ping pong ball into a red p- plastic cup or any number of a right. thousand drinking games. It's not a game. 
um, drinking is is never a game. No. And I'll tell you, if there's one thing that I, if I were able to see eliminate from from uh, the the schools would be. Um, get rid of the whole concept of, of drinking being a game. Mm-hmm. It can be social, teach people to appreciate it. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, have bourbon and scotch tastings and wine <laughs> tastings in the fraternities. Teach I them. totally agree with that. Why yeah. not? <laughs> teach them the history of it. Right. I mean, that's good stuff. Good. I mean, wh- when we when we hire people, we're a multi-million dollar corporation. Uh, do you think we've ever said, hey, you know, let's go, uh, let's all do a beer bong before we talk about contract negotiations? Right. No. We no. pull out a nice bottle of wine or a bottle of scotch or something like that. Sure. But, I mean, that's actually a good bit of knowledge to have down the line, but all this other crap, what the heck? I, I think it's crap made... on a podcast. Can't you? Oh, yeah, okay. you can say <laughs> yeah. whatever we you want. want. You, we want you to be as open as possible. <laughs> yeah, that's so. part of, you know, this conversation and, yeah. and yeah. being open. I just feel like we've made it so taboo now. Yeah, like, I, I, there's we said that last time, certain too. certain things in our society that we're like, ooh, like yeah. we put an age restriction on it. You can't do it. So right. like, you have to wait until you get to it's that like point. It's like forbidden. Yeah. yeah. And so like yeah. any opportunity uh, a young person gets to consume alcohol, they take it and run with it. Well, like so. there's no training that goes into it whatsoever. No. And when you talk on the college, when you talk on the college campuses, all the upper, upper class um, students will come and um, tell you that the, the problem are the incoming freshmen. I mean, they oh, all, yeah. they all yeah. say the same thing, that oh, their definitely. behavior is so reckless and so over the top. Yeah. And, but then again, that means that you need to have better mentorship uh, with your upper class, you know, um, you know, members of your fraternities. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, but, but going back, appreciation for alcohol, understanding its origin, understanding the history of it. Yeah. Not utilizing it as a tool for recreation. It's not a recreational tool. Right. Okay. Right. And, you know, another thing that um, I know you mentioned in one of your articles was the fact of, you know, all these crazy drinks that are popping up on college campuses, one of them being Red Bull and vodka, for instance. You, you know, drink of that ever since Red Bull came out. <laughs> it's the worst smell of vomit, too. Oh, I mean, oh, you I have bet. no idea I what Red Bull, oh my gosh. Red Bull and vomit coming out of you know, it's always with pizza or beefaroni or. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Just the Tino worst combination of things. Rolls. <laughs> trying to suck that out it's of an airway. It's a ramen noodle sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Trying to suck ramen out of an airway. <laughs> and vodka is just the worst. Yeah. Could you just give us some medical advice for a second here? Right. What exactly happens? Like mixing, I know it's an upper and a downer. People people get that. But like what actually happens in the body? Red, I'll go back. I have no idea why people mix Red Bull and vodka. It's simply a taste thing. Yeah. You're better off doing Kool-Aid or anything. It it does not make you a sober drunk. It makes no sense at all. Mm -hmm. Okay. The the alcohol is still going to win over and the caffeine is just going to make your blood pressure and your heart rate go up. It's not going to do anything to make you more mentally alert by any stretch of the imagination. The alcohol wins every time. Um, and it, it does nothing. It's just like you can't, you know, sober somebody up with a, with a cup of coffee either. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just one of those urban legends, just like anything else. Right. Um, you know, if you're going to drink vodka, dr- learn, learn how to make a good dirty martini. Right. You know, honestly, please. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. My kid, my kids knew how to make me, make me a martini when they were like eleven. See, that's good I sit knowledge there and go, hey, to know. Hey, yeah. What do you get in there? Go get your dad a dirty martini. <laughs> well, and they, they see you there sipping it. They don't see you throwing it back in a beer no, bottle, right? Something. Or taking no, shots, or you know. You know. And, and this this sounds odd, but I maybe have been drunk twice in my entire life. You know, fifty four years old. Yeah. Okay. Just there's no reason ever to to drink to that point. Right. You know, it's just there's none. And nothing good will come from that. Nothing. 
So that's so true. That's so true. And every one of my friends that are like you know, presidents or CEOs of big companies, they never drink at parties. They think it's one of the best things to do is to walk around with a with a, either coffee or a bottle of water and just watch everybody else drink. They say they learn more about their employees doing that than anything else. Yeah, that's such a good point. Mm-hmm. I, I've never thought about it like yep. that. But yeah, you, you really do see what people are like, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And kind of, kind of almost their an, actions. Yeah, an unfiltered version of them. Absolutely. Yeah, like all, all inhibition's gone, like you start really <laughs> noticing some of the things that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, and one of the other things I had written down, kind of, you know, talking about this this drinking issue that I think faces a lot of our chapters, is the fact that, you know, if someone, you know, God forbid, were to get to that point where, okay, they need to go to the hospital, they, they've had too much. Um, I think there's this fear that, you know, if, if someone calls 911, there's that fear that, oh, we're gonna get in trouble. Yeah, you well, know. you know, I brought that up at your at your national meeting. Remember, mm-hmm. I came yeah. up with that, yeah, sort of that that statement, that signature statement that that was the parents' uh, understanding of stupid shit that their kids do, yes. right? Kind of statement. Yes. So you have to have that sort of talk with parents. I think going in, sure, um, that we're going to do this. We're going to take you to the hospital if we're worried about you. And you have to have a talk with your your pledges. I think too, and know that this is non negotiable. It's non-negotiable. You can't say no. If we're worried about you from an alcohol drug standpoint, we want you checked out in the hospital, you have to go. And if they say no, pack their bags and yeah. kick them the hell out yeah. of their your house. Yeah. Why in the world are you risking your house for reckless behavior in your pledges? It makes no sense to me. I sit there and I say this, hear this stuff over and over. I say, why in the world would you allow somebody to bring all of you down? Because he's, he or sure. she is telling you in no uncertain terms, I don't care about you. Mm-hmm. That is what somebody says. It's the same thing yeah. when they do something like that to run the risk of me having to go tell their parents that they're dead. They're essentially saying in that moment, yeah, my self gratification is more important than what you stand to lose by me uh, getting hurt. Yeah, so. and I think one of the questions like you should ask yourself is: Would you rather your parents get a medical bill from the emergency room or get a phone call from a doctor informing you, uh, informing them that you have passed well, away? Well, no, yeah, and, and yeah. exactly. Every parent knows that, okay, and um, and so the parents. You know, I, I gave this talk up, like I said, in Atlanta recently, I told these parents, I said, you have to have these discussions with your kids mm-hmm. that, hey, I'm not gonna be mad at you should you right. get a copay. But, you know, you may yeah, have to sell some of your stuff to pay the copay. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, like I'm still gonna be mad yeah, at you, where's but. where's Call of Duty? It's <laughs> yeah. half price books right now. <laughs> <laughs> like that's out the door, yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to ask a question. So we, we were talking about the article, um, uh, your kid and my kid are not going to play in the pros. Okay. You, you, you kind of towards the end, you start talking about um, the issues between parents and, and children and how we're kind of, instead of being around the dinner table, we're around a baseball diamond or, or mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and so I get, well, the, one of the questions I just wrote it as I was reading is, what's the real issue? Is it the parents? Is it the children? Is it both? Both. It's both. Yeah. It, you know, that whole article, that's another article I'm actually very proud of. The, if I could show you the thousands of emails I got on that article from um, parents and grandparents and clergy, mm-hmm. you wouldn't believe how many grandparents sent me emails in response to that article saying, I do not know my grandchildren because of travel sports. It stole my grandkids away from wow. me. Totally. I never see them. 
you know, we can, I can't sit out in the hot sun. I can't go to these ball diamonds. Sure. I can't walk that distance. Mm-hmm. It's the bleachers are hard on my back, my body. I can't, the noise is too loud. And the drive but, alone right, sometimes but is too right. much. But if I don't go, I won't see my grandkids. Yeah. And then the clerk, wow. the amount of clergy that sent me emails to say the kids don't, uh, young kids don't go to church and synagogue anymore because all the travel stuff on the weekends. Yeah, and exactly. Traveling. So they have to maybe have religious studies once a week, late at night, and they're lucky to get anybody there anymore. Right. And I, I thoroughly believe it's one of the secret scourges of American society today. And I do think it, it does lead to reckless behavior um, at the college level. Definitely. You know, yeah. You don't have all those people singing your praises about how you're the greatest shortstop in the world. Exactly. Exactly. And I believe it was the same article where you, you were talking about... Um, the fear is is if Billy doesn't get onto the baseball team, and then that's going to drive him to lose his friends because his friends are on the team. And like, it's not wrong. No, it's exact. It's absolutely right. Yeah. That article is that article is given out by uh, it, it St. Vincent Sports Medicine. Whenever they have problem parents, they give that article to the problem parents. They figure it'll do one of two things: either the parent will wise up or the parent will leave. Either way, they figure they do okay. Sure. Okay, because they can't fix them, but. There's so much pathology there, and it translates down to the kids, too. And, um, yeah, I, I just think it's one of those other little quirks of, of modern society that is really sort of hurting us as, as people. I 100% agree. <laughs> it, it, it just just reading through it, I, I, I know I keep going back to it, but just, like, l- reading all of the things and, and some of the questions you guys get in the ER of, like, can we just put padding on, on Billy's spleen before he goes back out and play? Like, it's unbelievable. Are, are you nuts? Like, do you know if you hit that spleen, it, it, it could, could rupture and die? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's you, un- do you want to give your kid a, a, a sign a death warrant right now for your child? Like, it's right. unbelievable. Like, I yeah. just, there yeah. was times I was just yeah. holding my head, like, yeah. what the hell are people thinking? Yeah. These people are more afraid of gluten. Honest to God. <laughs> they are more afraid yes. of gluten than they are that their kid gets a spleen ruptured with mono. Oh okay. my gosh. It just, it, it was so shocking to me. And it's just crazy <laughs> yeah. that these are like yeah. real life quotes from people. And oh, yeah. I just, I, I didn't know what to say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and that can't be good on, you know, the mental health of these kids either, you no, know? Absolutely not. Because, you know, from, from a young age, they're taught and they're, it's pounded into them that, like, you have to be the best, you have to win, blah, 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 blah. And I feel like that really just factors into um, what we see in fraternities. Oh, for sure. Of, you know, like, well, I have to be the best, so I have to haze this person. And I have to dress this. like this, and yeah. I have to drink this, and I have to do this, right. and, and I have to, yeah, it, it's perpetuating a terrible cycle mm-hmm. uh, of person that is then, they're going to have kids and perpetuate <laughs> yeah. that again, and right. it's just going to continue. It's just a, a vicious you know, cycle. I wrote an article, there's another article, um, you probably won't appreciate it as much, but it's called, uh, I don't care if my doctor plays piano. Um, and it's another article I, I got to laugh at because we had interviewed a physician who was looking to join our group. Mm-hmm. And he was from the East Coast. And my wife says, oh, where'd he go to medical school? I said, I don't know. <laughs> she goes, well, where'd he go to residency? I said, beats I me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, well, where's he from? I said, I think he's from New York, but I'm not sure. She goes, you don't know any of that stuff? That's not important? I said, nope. I said, well, what's important? Seemed like a nice guy. <laughs> right. I think he's good at his That's job. That's pretty much it. Yeah. 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 His wife was nice. He seemed like a good guy. Right. That's about all we care about. Yeah. Looks like he'll do a good job. Yeah. Okay. We can always fire him. Yeah. I was just <laughs> but it wasn't important. It's yeah. not important. Yeah. We don't care about that crap. Okay. And it, it's so refreshing. It was just like, if you, if 
all it is, instead of looking at their pedigree, just go, yeah, he seems like a good guy. Let's have him in. <laughs> yeah. You know how, how refreshing that is? Yeah, he's a nice guy. Yeah. That's all, all you need. Yeah. You just want good guys, good dudes. Yeah. Okay? If you right. get a point guard, somebody can shoot from the three, you know? Then you're doing a little better. It's, it's, it's you got to have, have, have sure. the shooting guard, though, right on intramural. Right. <laughs> you got to have the kid that hits the three. <laughs> so that was a really good part one of this podcast. Yeah. So uh, just so everyone knows, we will be coming out with uh, the second part uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned for that. But yeah, I think that we covered, you know, a lot of great topics again um, in this part one. Um, and so what was your favorite part, Mike? Um, I would have to say, I think my fir- my first big favorite part, of, and, and I hate to say it, is, is just how we got started. Going from an ER yeah. doctor for almost 25 years to really um, getting into public speaking, he taught, taught or talked to his son's fraternity once, um, and it was that impactful, and he saw the impact in their faces. And I think one of the topics that they really um, saw a, a, a good response on was when Lou described what a death of a child looks like from the parent's perspective and, and the emotion and, and things like that. So um, I have to say that for me, it's still a very impactful part. I've heard him do that talk about three times now and, and it still um, gets to me. So I, I would have to say that part. What about you? Yeah, um, no, I totally agree with you on that. And and like I said, you know, in, in this part one of the podcast, um, it really just takes you back when you see him, him doing this because yeah, you can kind of, sort of conceptualize what that would be like, but he's seen it firsthand. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, he said like, it sticks with you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, I think that that was really powerful. Um, I would have to say my favorite part was talking about, uh, the article he wrote about travel sports. Oh yeah. Um, you know, because we, we don't think about that. And, um, I feel like in our culture, it's just very, like that's just what you do, you know? Cause yeah. I can say for myself, I played travel sports. I didn't think anything of it, but I think what really got me was when he was talking about how, you know, grandparents say, I don't get to see my grandkids because travel sports takes them away. Definitely. You know, and, and that was just very eye opening because yeah, definitely. I, I feel like I didn't see my grandparents as much as I could have when I was younger because I was playing sports. Yeah. You know, um, and just that mentality of you have to be the best, you have to win, you know, you have to be involved in everything under the sun um, and how that kind of ties in with, um, you know, this this drinking culture and and this mindset that some of our fraternity men have. Definitely. And I, I would go as far to say, too, is I think we've lost as a culture what family time actually is. Yes. Um, Agreed. And I think in the article it quotes that we spend more time around a baseball diamond or a stadium than we do at a dinner table. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spend more time being couch potatoes in front of a TV than interacting with the people that we call family and loved ones. And yeah. And I, and I think some of this stems to some of the issues that we have in society now where parents may not know their children or children may not know their family. And it's just because they don't take the time to do that anymore. Right. It, it's such a digital age. I think we have lost that interaction piece for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so so yeah, that I think that that was very impactful to hear yeah. that from from his point of view mm-hmm. too. And the one thing too, I wanted to address, and I wanted to make sure people understand, is that we're not con- condoning underage drinking. Yes. That, that is not what what the discussion was. The discussion was is how do we educate children without throwing them full force into consuming alcohol? That is a taboo topic in the right. United States. Um, 
which where we've come from a Puritan society. And so like <laughs> yes. anything that, that is not pure and righteous, it seems like becomes very taboo in society. Right. Um, and so we're not condoning that, but we're, what we're saying is that education is important. And so however a parent chooses to do that, whether it's after they turn the age of 21 or however they want to educate their children, we think the education component is very important. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Um, and we were actually talking about this um, with some a, a few colleagues about how you know who do you think is at the most risk to you know suffer from um, from overindulging sure. in drinks um, and it is and not many people get this but it is that that person who comes into college not having a drink yeah you know it definitely is um, and so yeah I, I couldn't agree more that we have to start educating and not making it this like forbidden thing. And I, I know we've harped on this in sure. a few other episodes, but it's just so important. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think Lou said it really well is like as a parent, he would show his kids like this is this is how you consume alcohol properly. There yeah. is a proper way to do it. It is not putting shots in a shot glass and throwing it back or mixing right. vodka with Red Bull. It's enjoying the beverage, understanding what the alcohol is and what the effects are of, of, Where it on comes the body. From. Exactly. Yeah, like exactly. Really educating yourself on the drink itself and how it can be used properly in a social setting that is not binge drinking. Right. And I think that was the the biggest takeaway I got from from this first part of the podcast is really like yeah. this is what you have to understand. And honestly, I, I'm putting it somewhat on parents. And I wish my mother would have uh, educated me a little differently on the way, way alcohol uh, consumption was. But I just think society wise, it's, it's very hard to do that without getting a bad rep as a parent. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I think that, you know, this is this was a great first part. Um, and Definitely. like I said, the second part will be out tomorrow. So make sure you tune into that uh, before we leave for part one. Uh, I have or well, we have a few announcements. Um, so first of all, scholarships are lost. They are. Um, So if you are a freshman, sophomore, or junior, you may be eligible. Um, So to see all of the different scholarships that we offer, um, please go to lambdakai.org slash scholarships to learn more. Yeah. All the links are there. There's yeah. scholarship applications to fill out. You guys should be good to go. Yeah. And I will say the deadline to apply is March 15th. Yes. Please, please don't forget that March 15th. Yep. Yeah. Um, and we're going to turn it over to Jaren. Yes. Um, so as always, please subscribe to the Chop Talk podcast on all of your favorite podcast streaming services. And as always, we want to hear from you, but also about you. So please go to lambdakai.org slash chop talk and take our short five minute listener survey. Thank you, Jaron. So on behalf of myself, Taylor and Jaron and everyone here at the International Headquarters, I want to thank all of you for listening and check out our next podcast tomorrow. Yeah.